Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril here with my co host, Pastor Elliot Anderson. And Love and Life is your place to hear conversations grounded in psych research, psychotherapy, and biblical truth to help us thrive in love and life. We're going to talk today about a subject that is trending. Also, it's very personal to our family. And we received a question recently about it. So we thought the time is now to address ADHD and dating and how it impacts us as individuals in our intrapersonal relationship with ourselves and our interpersonal relationships with others. So when Elliot was, and if you've listened to the sibling episodes, you know that he was rambunctious, might be a nice way of putting it, mm-hmm. energetic would be another way of putting it. When he was young, there was some talk at one point in time, I don't know if it was a teacher's approach, mom and dad, mm-hmm. But yeah, maybe this kid needs some sort of medication. Now, this was not common. This was the 70s. And you didn't have kids taking Ritalin and Adderall and Vyvanse. And in fact, back in those days, the term didn't even exist at that time. Because from 1968 to 1980, in the DSM-2, and the DSM is a Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, there was an understanding that some kids could be a little extra, what we called hyper, a hyper mm-hmm. kid. The technical term was hyperkinetic reaction of childhood. We first see attention deficit disorder with or without hyperactivity show up in the DSM-3, and that is in 1980. By 1987, it was called attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Now, from 1994 to the present, this would include for TR and the DSM-5, which is the current DSM, we have variations on ADHD. We have ADHD-1, which is ADHD with inattentive presentation, so no hyperactivity, just an inability to focus. ADHD with hyperactive presentation, ADHD-2, and ADHD with combined presentation, hyperactivity and inattentiveness, ADHD-3. And Elliot, just let me know that we actually have a DSM-5-TR, which is text revision, as of 2022. I say all this because as a former therapist, what we call a mental disorder or a psychiatric illness, and you can see it changes. Are there, in fact, more kids who are bouncing off the walls with hyperactivity and inability to focus currently compared to in the middle of the 20th century? Possibly, perhaps these diagnoses are in fact accurate, but there's also the possibility that now we have what Dr. Leonard Sachs, who's been on the podcast, and anyone who's interested in this topic, please check out episode 33 entitled, I Just Want My Kids to Be Happy and Other Flawed Parenting Ideals. And then part two of that episode is episode 34, American Parenting, Why It's So Hard But Doesn't Have to Be, where you will get an in-depth understanding of what Dr. Leonard Sachs, his concern working with children and recognizing that in some cases we have diagnostic inflation, meaning people are getting diagnosed with psychiatric illnesses that probably are not, in fact, illnesses per se, but are related to other circumstances in the environment, nutrition, lifestyle, habits, and so forth. So for anyone interested in that, please check out, as I mentioned, Elliot could have been considered an early adapter. Of course, those of you who have been part of our community for a while know that our father was not having it, so he was not, in fact, put on any medication. Elliot moved through the challenges he faced based on his biology and his tendency to be running hot and running high and has now come to see 
his ADHD, and I'm putting that in air quotes because I don't like identifying with parts of ourselves that are challenges. We experience them, but we don't have them. We don't own them. But to the extent that you have ADHD, you've come to see it as a blessing. As a gift, absolutely. And just to give a little backstory, I think the first time I remember hearing it mentioned in one of my many, many meetings with my father and principals or deans was Mrs. Falkenstein. I was going to ask you if it was That was her name, right? Yes, it was. And I think that was like third grade. That was after I had hid in a box for the entire French class. Well, you never liked French. No, I couldn't do it. Uh, <laughs> Madame Pierce. You didn't like her so much either. No, I don't think she cared for me a whole I lot don't think, yeah, either. I think it was mutual. But that one seemed to alert them to something beyond normal. But let's look at that incident in itself. Yeah. My hyperactivity was always presenting kinetically, actively racing mind, racing body, inability to control, self-regulate, etc. But part of the blessing of being ADHD, and I consider it a part of me and I don't worry about it or feel like it's a bad part, is hyper-focus. So for the effect of hiding in a box, it was one of those little trains she'd build or something for the entire class. I'm claustrophobic. I don't like being contained and being in dark, but to do that in that classroom, I sat still for 20, 30 minutes, whatever it was. Right. And so it's ironic, as I think about it now, that Mrs. Falkenstein brought dad in and it was after school sometime, which meant I probably was missing soccer practice or basketball practice. So I was probably really agitated already. Mm -hmm. And walking through that and listening to dad, I think he respected her because she was a strong leader and very educated and had a firm sense of administrative control, which was necessary if dad was going to respect anybody. Mm -hmm. But I remember them talking through it and dad doing the very things you said about, no, we won't do this. No, we won't do that. Is this one of the best schools in the city? If it is, educate my son. Mm -hmm. He's bright. He's gifted in academics. We know that, although it took me 20 years to get there. So it was a really important step for me as a man. That kind of stuff's in Simon Says, by the way, the book I wrote about dad and how one ADHD to another. Right. And that family line was important. Then it was in middle school. Boy, I'm not going to remember. It's Mike Huffer was our principal. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the dean. Oh, Mrs. Howard. Yes, Mrs. Howard. I thought she understood me well and gave me great compassion. But she was the one, when she talked to dad about it, I'm like, uh-oh, if Mrs. Howard thinks maybe that might be helpful, I wonder if I really do need something. Mm-hmm. But dad refused again. And then they wanted to do some experimental allergens thing with 10 needles in my back. This wasn't Mrs. Howard saying this. No. This one, we went to Dr. Hafner and pediatrician. Dad was at least willing to listen. And then he's like, absolutely not. Forget right. it. No right. way. And then he would start coaching me on, listen, I think you need to understand an academic environment is going to be difficult for you the whole way. Mm-hmm. You know how you're free and on an athletic field, people would have no idea you struggle in school because you can just run and move and be in control. And that's all praised. Right. It's not going to be praised in the classroom. You're going to have to learn how to figure this out. But just his freedom to open it up a little bit helped me get through those difficult times. I still learn best moving. Mm-hmm. So when I'm preparing for messages or I'm writing lectures I'm bouncing on my exercise ball or rolling on it. I walk around the house. I memorize better moving. Mm-hmm. I can't memorize just sitting still. I pray better when I'm moving, right? So I've recognized these different pieces. And in my clinical practice, switching gears a little bit, in my clinical practice, I would think up to 75% of the young men or women who come to me from either a parent or a Judson student or often a Judson student's boyfriend because the girlfriend's about had it, <laughs> sending the guy to come see me just for a quick consultation. 75 to 80% of the time, I don't think they have ADHD. Mm-hmm. 
what they have is some childhood trauma. What they mm -hmm. have is massive repressed grieving, blocking of emotionality, trapped masculinity issues, that they have to be tough. They've never been modeled, never been mentored, never felt success or achievement or productivity. Yes, I think it's overdiagnosed and overinflated. Yes, I think I've had it, whatever that would be. But I don't think it's been a curse. In fact, I would not trade my first 20 years for anything mm -hmm. in what it's allowed me to become now. As I talked to you about earlier, started a book called Healthy, Hyper, and Happy. I started that when I was in a resident director at Judson back in the um, early 90s. And we're talking to so many of the students who had been diagnosed and were on medications and they were freaking out and losing weight. And so I just started talking with many of them and started writing down ideas. And it's one of the nine books I need to finish. Well, let's collab on that one. I'll do all the research well, on why the meds great. are no good. All right. That would be Because wonderful. as you pointed out, helpful. losing weight because it's speed. So Absolutely. people understand. We have these terms, Ritalin, Adderall, Vyvanse. The pediatrician prescribes it. So everything's copacetic. But it's a street drug because it's an amphetamine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, so it's like a weight loss. Right. That's how amphetamine started, as you know. So Ritalin is classified as a Schedule II narcotic under the U.S. Controlled Substances Act, meaning that it is illegal to use it without a prescription or allow another person to use or sell it. However, we now know yeah. that these have become study drugs on college campuses. Imagine if they said that to a parent. Here, I'm going to give you a narcotic. I've been that provocative with parents have before you? where I've said, you have to understand, essentially you're saying to yourself, you want your seven-year-old to be on cocaine. I just try to be overly dramatic if I feel like it's misdiagnosed and they're just wanting some kind of rescue for all the other family issues and struggles with routine and structure and sleeping and health and nutrition. Words are powerful. And that's why certainly with our cognitive orientation, we're thinking about our thoughts all the time and why I'm very careful. That's why, like I said a few minutes mm -hmm. ago, have, I'm very cautious to own anything. And then pulling it back to the trending concern, you and Tim told me today when we decided we were going to talk about this, that apparently there's a shortage of Adderall. Mm -hmm. And the concern is that perhaps because there's a shortage, what they're cranking out and kids are getting isn't the typical potency. And my concern is that why is there a shortage? One of my students, let me interrupt for a second. One of my students struggled in this capacity, was talking to me about it, sharing information about it, which was really helpful. And the substitute drug they gave her caused such extreme movements in depression and suicidal ideology Thank the Lord she got off. And she had not had that problem previously. Mm -hmm. So whatever they gave her, I don't remember. She knows her drugs better than I do. Whatever they gave her was so, thankfully, so dramatically so that she got off immediately rather than if it slowly built her up to that, she probably would have just internalized it as this is just my issue. Mm -hmm. But it was too quick. She knew and she got out. One other, before we get to the question, one other concern, Elliot, that I think was what dad was resisting. Dad always wanted to frame and we're big fans of a reframe. Dad yeah. wanted to frame your hyperactivity as a gift, like you said. And you were able to internalize mm -hmm. it that eventually. Eventually. Yes, yeah. it was hard in the classroom. Well, I knew it was a gift on the athletic field. Sure. Absolutely. I was, I was never tired. Exactly. Yeah. And you played midfield, I so you didn't you couldn't be tired. Yeah. But to reframe the way we're wired as a gift instead of, and this is what concerns me and it breaks my heart to see a little three, four, five-year-old boy who is just being a boy with all the energy that God mm -hmm. has wired boys to have that is important energy because he's going to grow up and, oh my gosh, I'm going to say it. He's going to need to protect his wife from dangerous things that may happen in this world. Yes, I'm old school. 
We are not the same physically. If you're concerned about that, listen to last week's episode. We are not the same. We're not designed the same. And for a little boy at five to be told, you have a problem. Your God-given energy and curiosity and busyness is wrong. And dangerous. Yeah. And it needs to be fixed through a hardcore medication. Taking on that identity as a child. Tends to stay there for life. And dad was very appropriately helping me recognize, look at the advantages of this right? and look at the disadvantages and make a realistic comparison. Dad was an award-winning educator for higher ed, right? Collegiate awards for his work. My wife is an award-winning educator for five and six-year-olds. And so she makes, through her understanding of me and my own sons, and she makes a real specific effort to give wiggle room mm-hmm. for all of her kids, not just the boys, mm-hmm. all of her children um, with the different chairs they can do now. You know, no more of these desks that were locked in, which right. I had to have, which really, I would sometimes just start rattling them as soon as I got them in. I felt trapped immediately. Yeah. The ability, the opportunity to change that construct in that environment is enormous, enormously important. And the identity piece. Mm-hmm. For you to be freed up to not have that label, which then we know oftentimes if we're given a label by an authority figure in childhood, we'll live up to it. I have students still today at Judson, Professor Tim, you might as well. They'll say something like, I'm ADHD, so I'll likely struggle in your class. And I say, first of all, you are not ADHD. Yes. That is not who you are. You are a child of Christ. You have tremendous gifts. Half the time I know their gifts. Yeah. Amazing athlete, amazing musician, all these creativity things. I Mm. said, you have a manifestation of part of you mm-hmm. that has some hyperkinetic struggles with attention and focus and follow through, but you yourself are not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm very careful in that language. And like I said, many of these men come to me broken. They come really broken thinking they're a complete failure simply because they have this. And we don't give that same weight or that same deterministic value to other conditions. And it is a determinism. Again, the science is not showing that even if you have a genetic predisposition, which you probably did Mm -hmm. to be more hyper because dad was hyper. And uncle Jack and... Right. So you probably have the genetic predisposition, but we are learning because of epigenetics that there is no such thing as genetic determinism, except for maybe like your blue eyes and my Mm -hmm. green eyes. Other than that, there's epigenetics. And is there a single classroom besides probably Angie's that's really designed for the way boys learn? No, no. that's the that's the real essentiality. I'm on reels maybe twice a week for two minutes. <laughs> I sent you one from Jordan Peterson who talked oh, about no, I saw it. the American education system is not created for the overly aggressive, assertive that's right. young male. That's right. And I'm like, wow, that was like dad 40 years ago right. saying that exact same thing, even though he's an educator and valued structure and valued people who learned well in a mm-hmm. systemic linear way. But he was telling the school, listen, this is supposed to be the best school in the state, which Seven Hills was. Mm-hmm. He's like, you adapt, adapt to your students. Their model is IGE, individually guided education. So his point is we're spending money for this. Mm-hmm. So so his defense of out. that, <laughs> even though I certainly got consequences for all the misbehavior, okay, you did. his defense of that and his willingness to sit through with me on the legitimate academic struggles, even when I was outside of a forced classroom, And just at home and simply writing a clean sentence on a piece of notepad was very difficult for me. I don't know if you remember, but I would break pencils in my fingers while writing. There was so much stress and energy and that I just snap them in half all the time. I don't remember that. Uh, I couldn't couldn't color a traditional way. I would snap the crayon in half while I was coloring. And I love to color. Color would help me Mm -hmm. shift again. Creativity, artistic things help me calm. And so in that context, I just want 
the listeners to think it's not just the environmental educational setting that was difficult for me. Mm -hmm. That yeah. was just the fullness of it because then it's the comparative. All the other kids can sit still. All mm -hmm. the other kids can listen and understand what the mm -hmm. teacher said. I'd literally get one request by a teacher and what teachers often do. And when I go help schools, how do you work with these kids? Don't give four instructions in a row. Just give one at a time. Yeah, right. One at a time. Seven Hills is a very difficult academic school and mm -hmm. they would really expect a lot and push you. I'm very thankful they did, mm -hmm. but I couldn't handle multiple steps. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. so then you're, then you're getting in trouble for simply not being able to receive an instruction, even if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. The final thing I want to say, and again, harkens back to the Dr. Sachs episode, is I am troubled because we act as if these medications are benign. We've already said they're scheduled to narcotics. And the longitudinal studies, because again, we weren't medicating kids to a great degree until the mid 80s, maybe even the early 90s to the level we're seeing it now. Dr. Sachs has seen young men who got on these medications early, five, six, 10. By late 20s, there has been damage to their nucleus accumbens. Mm -hmm. and, I, the, and the milligrams keep growing. They right. keep giving them more and more. Because your body adapts. And mm -hmm. so then you have to give more to get the effect you want, which is the focus, which again, as a stimulate, that's a counterintuitive, but it stimulates the part of your brain that helps you focus. But... The horrible side effect is that it also does damage to the nucleus accumbens, which then is part of the motivational center. So we're seeing mm -hmm. a generation of young men, 28 years old, living in their parents' basement, not having the motivation even to ask a girl out on a date. We're seeing tragic long-term effects that no one could have prepared for or planned for because we didn't have any longitudinal studies when we started prescribing this to the level we were. I also want to encourage listeners, if they are motivated to say, I need to consider getting off, which we would love it. Please do it carefully, because if you are up to high levels yeah. and you just go cold turkey, the response to your brain and your body is not going to be good. So please see your psychiatrist, see your doctor, and be strong with them. If you yeah. truly want to try getting off, don't let them talk you into something. Certainly, if you love them and trust them, listen to their word. But man, please wean off carefully. Dr. Kelly Brogan talks about that in her work. She's a psychiatrist who, in 2010, just said, I put it down. My prescription pad will no longer be used. Amen. She's Amen. all nutrition, lifestyle. But she says, please, the same. She says, if you taper off, because you will have a dramatic withdrawal. Absolutely. So I'm a, a heroin addict. at times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and then the problem is that you might think, oh, I definitely need the drug. Mm -hmm. But let's think of it this way. If I was a heroin addict and I had a withdrawal experience after getting off heroin, no one would say, oh, you have a heroin deficiency in your brain. Right. Same it's thing is true important. with coffee and caffeine, weaning off or not having it late at night when you have to get up and come early for a podcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. That's true story behind the scenes. I got two hours of sleep last night because I had too much caffeine late in the day. And it was an innocent. It was another reminder. It was an innocent bubbly drink or whatever you call it. Was, it was, yeah, it was a fizz water. Yeah, I just had a little caffeine it and then you're yeah. like, it shouldn't be too big a deal. Body's used to certain levels right. at certain times, mm -hmm. right? The long effect of those. What's mm -hmm. the word? There's another word I can't pull out, but- Long-term? Yeah, term, yeah something different about how long the effect is of the caffeine. But what I'm teaching in my chemical dependency class is trying to cut your caffeine off by 11 o'clock in the morning. Yes, I hear you. Yeah. Will do. If you're interested in processing further as you align your mind, body, and spirit, we're here for you. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com and click on the Work With Us tab. There you can book individual or couples sessions. Or sign up for one of our support groups. Purchase one session or a multiple session package. We'd love to work with you. Sign up at loveandlifemedia.com. All right, the question for today. Hello, Dr. Karen. Hello, Pastor Elliot. 
I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning, and I love the information you all bring. It has brought much growth and healing for myself and even friends I've shared the podcast with. So first off, thank you so much for that lovely feedback. And secondly, thank you for sharing the program with others. She goes on to say, I especially love the fact that Pastor Elliot is now a co-host of Love and Life. I love that as well. And here is my question, she says. I've been dating a guy for the past six months. The relationship is going well. We have great communication skills and are careful to not make the relationship more than it should be. In other words, we have good pacing. My boyfriend has ADHD, and the more I get to know him, the more I'm realizing how much it affects him. I've started reading more about it recently and have realized that some of the things that cause him irritation or even anxiety and depression are due to his diagnosis. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how I can help him and our relationship. This is my first time dating someone with ADHD, and I'm clueless. I know Pastor Elliot has mentioned before that he too has ADHD. Do I see an episode about that in the future? He, I'm mostly kidding, but it'd truly be a huge blessing. Thank you for all that you do. Blessings. Here's your podcast episode. Yeah, and I'm thankful that she wrote. I'm thankful that she's a fan of the show and appreciates me joining as well. So thank you. This is such a fine line. One of the first reactions you and I had to her email was it's wonderful, but we could hear her easily slipping into codependency about his issues. Mm-hmm. And I have counseled more ADHD men probably than any other individual counseling issue in the last 30 years. And seven out of 10 times at least, it's a girlfriend or wife setting it up for them, trying to bring him in. Right. And now at this stage of my career, I just tell her lovingly and gently, I'm not doing a thing with him unless he gets a hold of me. Mm-hmm. So he might not know me, you know me, I don't care. He's going to have to take action and take steps to want this, to desire this, to set it up. We're going to test that codependency and test that systemic right away. So before you move forward, just a little bit deeper dive in the codependency issue. So what happens is the wife or the girlfriend with all the best intentions, I love my man, I want him to get help, I think Ellie can help him, starts to micromanage, Mm -hmm. which then of course is going to do several things, but allow him to still be not working with his tendencies, Mm -hmm. his characteristics of ADHD to move through them to work with them and to learn how he's now abdicating that responsibility to his girlfriend because she's so willing to take it and And it switches power dynamics so then it gets the parental child role which makes most adhd rebellious so that doesn't help and her feelings the dependency leads to her feelings start to overwhelm his feelings and she then dictates what is good and not good and that's a dangerous scenario for an adhd male whether boyfriend engaged or husband What would you recommend then? Let's again, keep it to brass tacks here. So she notices this tendency. He says, I have ADHD. She knows he needs help. Instead of calling up someone and making the appointment for him, how do you counsel that that she would- Yeah, sometimes that's going to be helpful. So I'm not acting like that's evil or sinful or wrong. But more often than not, if she wants to do a little research first or find out somebody who knows about this, like me, like the one uh, really cool example from the podcast where a woman in Germany- yeah. Heard us and recommended her son, Ontario, to reach out. And the first manifestation was ADHD. So it's a perfect example. Mom helped out, gave some possibilities, but he reached out. Yes. And so we worked on that piece. So there's a good example. A mom who's caring, loving, said, son, I think this would be helpful. Here's the information. Mm-hmm. So for a wife or a girlfriend to tell her boyfriend or husband, hey, you've talked about your frustrations and your disappointments in self about this or failure to follow through or academic trouble, whatever it is, here's an opportunity. Here's someone who specializes this, works with guys like this. Here's the information and leave it alone. Right. And that's so hard to do. Yeah. 
And because I've had many girlfriends come to me, students, just last week, a student came to me and said, if he doesn't contact you in the next week, I might be done. Well, I'm not sure I can put up with this anymore. And it doesn't have to be you, but it's got to be someone to take some steps towards health and wholeness. And that's what made me think, not that she would necessarily position that as an ultimatum, but there would be a natural consequence. Mm -hmm. If she has done a little research and said, here, these are five counselors that are recommended to be specialists in this area. I think it would really help you personally. And I think it would help our relationship if you could go and have a conversation or so. But if he doesn't, then... Natural she, consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Often ADHD do not learn well unless it's natural consequences. So systemically, if you try to set it all up and you try to get him there and you even go to the first one with him and you're talking more than he's talking, which I wouldn't let happen in my session, but often can right. happen, then he might just walk away and go, well, I don't know. You want it more than I do. I really don't want right. it. Whose and, problem is it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It'll, it'll manifest in that way. So let's say the guy does come, sets it up, gets moving. The first thing I do is the reframe. You know, immediately I listen to the story. Tell me, tell me a little bit about why you think you have this. When did you get diagnosis? Are you on something, et cetera? Walk me through five minutes. Tell me how this has impacted you over the last seven years, whatever. And normally you hear the story and it's almost always negative mindset or negative experience. And I understand. And I immediately start to reframe, immediately start to talk about, do you know this is your greatest gift? Do you know this is your greatest asset? Your greatest ability is going to be living through this and in this, not trying to hide it, not trying to go around it, not trying to ignore it, not self-condemning nonstop and immediately try to do a massive perspective shift in session one. And this is interesting because I think it's a, a dual strategic initiative for ADHD counseling. So we're going to reframe immediately and really try to open up and help them appreciate all the creative expressions that they feel are damaging. And at the exact same time, really start driving into structure, regulation, and routine. It's such a polar dance for ADHD. That's why sometimes I'll get frustrated with you, even though you have very good reasons sometimes when things have to shift, because <laughs> I have to stay on a really systemic movement, especially because I do so many different things, because a good ADHD within their gift will always be on the threshold of too much. Mm -hmm. So I tell people I'm always in fourth gear. I can go to fifth for a couple of days and then I need to get back to fourth. But going to neutral for me is almost like stopping. So when I rest, rest includes movement, raking the entire yard. People are like, why are you doing that? And I go, because it's restful. How can it be restful? You're working so hard. That's restful to me. Restful sitting to watch a game. Okay. Sitting, just reflect on life is miserable even though I'm a reflective person by nature. Does that make sense? I'm trying to give you those differences. Well, like painting for you too. Exactly. It's cathartic. It's, it's, and it's physically, it's, it's redundant. It's methodical. It's creative. And so probably that is when you do some reflecting mm -hmm. on the cognitive level. It's self-trance almost. The brain goes into a, right. where I really can forget I've just caulked for three straight hours until my fingers start to hurt. But I'm recognizing I'm actually thinking really well. Mm -hmm. And often I'll do mentoring within that and hire other guys in my companies that also are wrestling through life. And then I can help them mentor, disciple, and grow while using their great skills. Mm -hmm. So that balance, I wanted to hear the, the girlfriends and the wives out there think about it. Your man does need structure. He needs to choose it himself and work it within his own natural rhythms. So my wife's a perfect example, right? Thinks A to B to C in her sleep and mm -hmm. wakes up and somehow has her day completely ironed out in her head already and she mm -hmm. just got up. I'm always thinking A to Z to P to Q to C to R. We're both effective, totally different expressions of how we get there. And so for many years, it was difficult for Angie to accept my routines, which had such randomness in it or what appeared to her chaotic. Mm -hmm. Dad's a classic example. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. He'd run an errand to Northside, come back, 10 minutes later, go back to Northside again. Mm-hmm. And me or you or mom or someone say, weren't you just in Northside? Why didn't you do it then? Well, I didn't feel like it or I didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. And he would be so naturally accepting of himself with that lack of efficiency. So I remember when I first started bringing Angie home 37 years ago now to meet the family, she was so struck by dad's patterns that were so similar to mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's like, he's as inefficient as you are. <laughs> and I said, yes, he is. But is he not effective? And she couldn't deny that. There's that peace. See, I get that at home too. You are. Efficient. <laughs> you are inefficient at times. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Accept it. <laughs> or, <laughs> I guess I have to. Yeah. Or Dan will say, we'll do whatever makes sense. And I'm like, well, who's the one who's the the defining makes sense? The structured, yeah. organized person in the relationship. Dang it. I thought <laughs> yeah. I made sense too in my own way. We do in our own way, but it's not in the societal way. And again, that's why I talk about we yield to it. We don't have to comply to it. Yeah. And there's times when I'm sure Dan allows you to be you and your flow and Angie allows me to be my flow when it doesn't have any impact on anything else or other things. But when it comes to getting somewhere on time and you and I start to do a third project yeah. 20 minutes before we're supposed to be at the place already, that's when we need to yield to our very time, linear, structured partners. We'd love to connect with you further via our weekly newsletter. Joining the Love & Life family gets you first access to bonus content and flash sale pricing for books and consultations. And when you sign up, you'll receive Karen's Empowered Dating Playbook or my Empowered Marriage Playbook. Head over to loveandlifemedia.com to join the Love & Life family. So for the... I want to get back to that duplicit existence. Well, that's a very interesting because I would not have guessed that you would reframe. I, I, I would have guessed the reframe, but then in the first session, you'd reframe to recognize the giftedness therein, the positive aspects of this wiring of this individual, and then also move right into how do we harness some, this yeah, for effectiveness structure. and productivity? And what kind of job are you in? Right. And let's talk about what job you're in and why. Why are you in this type of job when you tell me you hate it? You have no natural skills or gifts in it. You have to sit still all the time. Right. You have to be in the office. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's a miserable job. Mm-hmm. Do you hate it? Yes. Get out of it. Mm-hmm. Don't quit and now cause more financial issues. But look now, where's your natural passions? Where your natural abilities? Start to create ways to make that income in ways that fit your spirit and your body and your mind. And she mentions in the question that some of the things that cause him irritation. And I'm thinking, again, if you are wired to be a more energetic, more movement-focused person, and you are in that cubicle, you're going to be irritated when you come home. (laughs) So again, looking at lifestyle realities that might be contributing as well to his irritation. And I would almost almost bet my house, I'd have to ask Angie first, but I almost (laughs) bet my house that she is structured, organized, and linear. Mm -hmm. And so their irritations as a couple are based on that mismatch. Mm -hmm. So what I hear from many ADHD men or are... Why is our date always have to be eating dinner and having a romantic conversation? Why can't we go do something? Right, Why can't right. we go whitewater rafting mm-hmm. with no lifeboat or something? <laughs> Just wanting something yeah. with a little risk and a little energy. And so working on that balance again. So a lot of wives and girlfriends get stuck thinking their man's health is best represented by his willingness and ability to comply to my style. Mm. And that's really dangerous because that's mm. not how he's wired to be. And if you're forcing him to try to live within your systemic or your style more important than systemic. His, her systemic might be helpful, but her style of systemic, you're trapping him and you're blocking him. Then he's going to think, I can't please her. I can't be what she needs me to be. And then for he'll start retreating or rebelling. Very so, parent-child again. Absolutely. So finding ways then to have both sides 
be represented. So one date night is something like rock climbing and mm-hmm. she might be, I hate it. Trust me, he hates every time <laughs> you have to go and sit still in a movie theater the whole night. Yeah. Unless it's a violent, yeah. I leave I in a higher sexual movie that might stimulate his brain and he can get into it. That, that rom-com isn't doing it for no, him. No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not one iota. I, if I can't analyze the characters in the rom-com, I can't sit in it. Even yeah. though I love it. I love romance and I love yeah. the intrigue, but I have to go into deep. I'm doing DSM dive diagnosis for the whole movie. <laughs> so you, you hear my point. It's mm-hmm. helpful for her systemic. Most of the time, it seems like the men in this spirit and energy are drawn to the systemic structured linear woman and vice versa. Sure. And I know subconsciously I saw what dad had. And I'm like, man, I need something similar. Mm-hmm. I never thought that. Mm-hmm. I never cognitively looked for that, but mm-hmm. I married someone pretty similar. I think I've shared this with you before, but probably not with the audience. But I remember in grad school, there was a bunch of us who started talking about overstudy groups or whatever about we were all musicians. And then I mentioned, oh, yeah, my father's a jazz musician, college professor, professor, church choir director. And the one of my colleagues at, at Wheaton said, Oh my gosh, you must have grown up in utter chaos, right? Yeah. Jazz musician well, for you, dad. You didn't even add the author part, yeah. landlord. And yeah. And I looked at him and I just, because I hadn't gotten to that point of reflecting on our family yet. Mm-hmm. And I went, not at all. And then I went, light bulb. Mom. <laughs> the only reason that we weren't raised yeah. in utter chaos, loving chaos, though That's it right. would have been, yeah. utter chaos was dad grounded himself and all of his energy and all of his wiring to mom, who is a rock and. And for you and I as well, our older brother was a rock in that structure mm-hmm. as well. Even though he had some of the kinesthetic, we were raised as nightclub musicians, essentially, right? So we were out performing. Warren was probably performing 14, 15 years old in nightclubs till two in the morning. Yeah. And then I started following suit. So dad's natural rhythm of literally going to bed at two or three in the morning, most of his adult life until he mm-hmm. really retired and had dementia and getting up at six still mm-hmm. and just taking these cat naps during the day. And living such a random, kinesthetic, active, productive life. Yes, if he would have married someone like him, I don't think they would have made it. And I don't no. think we would have made it. Oh, no, no. But with mom's structure and then Warren as an older brother being more close to mom's structure, I remember him watching over me and often telling me things like, do you realize your game's in like 20 minutes? You're not even dressed yet. And I'm like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And I love the sports, obviously. Right. So he would be looking after me or, hey, your team's getting ready to leave. I'm like, oh, okay, I got to hurry up. And mm-hmm. So his structure, his linear work with moms, again, mm-hmm. I had the dramatic manifestations. And just because you could lock into your academics, socially, you are as hyper as I am. Mm-hmm. And my daughters have said that many times. Like, Dad, are you sure Aunt Karen doesn't have it too? <laughs> I'm like, I think it's a little different, but yes, my, my daughters are both in social work and psych, so they're following after us. Yeah. And so they're like, we love her, Dad, but she's more chaotic than you are. She's yeah. more random than you are. I've told yeah. you those stories. and I'm Oh, like, yeah. They'll be like, and this is fair. Like, I'll be like, okay, ladies, we're going to leave and go out for lunch and at noon and 1245. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah, what happened? What? They're living with, under Angie's system, right. right? They're like, what's up with that? And I'm like, I'll just fold these clothes right quick. Or I'll just, I got to clean the bathroom. yet Now? No. Really? Now, it'll take three minutes. So getting back to her question, she also mentions that she sees some anxiety and depression that might be due to this as well. So as we wrap up, what do you see in the correlation or the connection between ADHD and those realities of emotional state as well? Yeah, the anxiety that I've most often seen with ADHD is not in 
intrapersonal relationship stuff. It's more based on environmental systemic. You school is the most common example. It's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. They struggle with any regulatory movements for attending class, getting the homework done, following the, the paper requirements, all those things. And yet on the athletic field or in the music studio or in the art room, they're amazing, mm-hmm. motivated, on time. That's important information for me as a therapist. So we recognize then in certain areas, the best self is able to be there, be happy, being content. Where's the anxiety? Only in the school issue. It's not about himself as a person. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant by that. Yeah. So when I see anxiety the most is when I see someone heavily medicated when I don't think they need to be. Their sleep patterns are a nightmare. Right. I will sometimes speed. with these younger men not kids underneath their parents' roof, but these college right. kids, I'll tell them, I will not keep counseling you. Some, some people are going to listen and think this is terrible therapy, but this is my style. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I will not meet you the next session if you don't get seven hours of sleep, at least before we meet. Right. I'm tired of you rolling in here. You've had two hours of sleep. You haven't eaten. Mm-hmm. You haven't turned anything in, right? You did nothing on the objectives we set the week before. And now you just want to come in and complain and bend right. about the professor doesn't care about you and your girlfriend's on your case. And I'm like, why not? Right. right? She should be and he should be. So putting some pretty strict, mm-hmm. how motivated are you really to change? Mm-hmm. Not to change who you are, but to change how the impact is. Mm. And if you want to be in school, you're going to have to comply to some generalities mm-hmm. of school systemic. Mm-hmm. Quit trying to fight it the whole time. Just get through it. Mm-hmm. And how do we do that? We start to regulate a little bit of our systemic with the main three, of course, sleeping, hydration, and nutrition. Mm -hmm. Get off all the sugars, quit drinking six power drinks a day. Mm -hmm. You know, Red Bull in my office at eight in the morning. This is not good. This isn't, Mm -hmm. this isn't helping you. No food in your stomach, 90 grams, 90 milligrams of caffeine already, plus your medication. Mm. And you're just, you're in a swirl of nonstop stimulation where you... Physiologically, you're not going to be able to calm down at all. Right. How would your heart not be racing? Exactly. You have no choice. And then you start skipping things. And then the self-condemnation on top of the lack of nutrition, on top of no water at all. I said, okay, if you're going to drink the Red Bull, then I want 60 ounces of water before noon. I can't do that. I'll be peeing all day long. I'm good. Then you got to get out of your system (laughs) because the term we use a lot, the all hopped up, you're all, your excitatory system and your circulatory system is just on fire. It's very similar to... PTSD movements. And so the amygdala is going nuts and the hippocampus shuts down. No order, no structure, no common sense. Right? <laughs> I have so many wives or people come. Why in the world would he choose to go work out at one in the morning when he had an interview at 7 a.m.? Right? And that kind of nonsensical mm-hmm. reaction or response to the stress or the upcoming event. So it, it's really a lot of deconstruction of faulty patterns mm-hmm. and faulty beliefs and working on both at the same time. Yeah. Creating the response to, again, the way he's wired or she's wired has now exacerbated all the physiological conditions. And then that can contribute to the anxiety as well mm-hmm. because they can't, they are taking this medication and they're taking, taking the Red Bull, trying to focus, but it's going to actually, their body is like now in hyper. Yeah. And the depression is normally either just self-condemnation and actually loathing self or repressed grieving from major trauma and loss that they just glossed right over. Mm -hmm. Which really, as we wrap up, really just punctuates my overall, our overall concern with medications aren't so 
often, if not always, our emotional and physiological experiences a reasonable reaction to what we've been through. Mm -hmm. Someone comes in with PTSD trauma from some sort of sexual abuse as a child and all of a sudden gets this diagnosis of depression and now you're on an antidepressant. You've not dealt with depression and ADHD because they can't focus because they're grieving. (laughs) Right. We've not dealt with the core issue. Mm -hmm. And that's why it bothers me. And and just to also say, because I know that many people feel like their medications have really helped them. They've saved their lives. I would like to refer you to the work of Dr. Kelly Brogan, who I've talked about a moment ago in the podcast. Also, there's a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker is a journalist. He has no skin in this game. He didn't set out to take down pharma. He just started looking at the research based on his reporting and came to understand that the there is unfortunately a very cozy relationship between the medical community, pharmaceutical corporations, even the FDA. And this is something that is really important because if we continue as a society to want to take reasonable reactions and responses to life, which can be very difficult, especially in childhood when you have no control and have no agency, if we continue to say what you're experiencing right now is a pathology, instead of saying, no, you have a reasonable response to what you've been through. The human condition. Isn't that more loving? (laughs) I don't find it loving to slap you with a label, a diagnosis, and medicate you. I just don't. So please, as we speak to these issues that can be dicey, please understand where our heart is coming from. And I want to let the ladies and the men know, either side, it's not easy, fast work. So girlfriends out there are original writer of the email. Yes. If your boyfriend is able to start moving forward and take some ownership, not, not please you, but take his own ownership to work on self, you're often talking about 30 years of programming mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, environmentally, that takes a while. That takes some time and that's going to yeah. gonna be some painful changes. And he will be different because he'll be more true to self mm-hmm. as he grows and develops. And it's going to force in any romantic relationship, force the other one to respond, alter or change as well. I think you've done such a nice job sharing some of the examples of the men you work with. And again, this is a, a, an issue women face as well. But I hope that maybe she'll have the opportunity to share this episode with him and he can start moving towards some healing. Just some realities. At least half the men stop counseling. <laughs> they get some help. <laughs> they get a few things moving and then it just slips away. So it's just reality that it'll ta- it might take three or four different times, different counselors, different opportunities, that belief in self to work hard, to re-identify and... It, it's it's painful work. And for them as a couple, can they grow together through this? Because if there has been, they've been together six months, if there has been a dynamic already kind of in place, as you mentioned at the top of this episode mm-hmm. of some codependency where she's slipped into a parenting role and he's allowed her to parent him in the child role, as he heals, will that alter their dynamics such that the attraction isn't there? I'm not saying that would necessarily right. happen in the best case scenario. Yes, they will grow together and really enjoy the freedom of a more equitable relationship. But in some cases, there's a project, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word, or a fixer-upper. And once that movement and change starts happening, the dynamics are altered such that it's not feeling like a fit anymore. Yeah, it might be the appropriate non-fit and just to be okay with that and amicable Mm -hmm. about that on the way out. But to help that issue, I will often say, okay, let's set a structure of every Tuesday for the next six weeks. I won't scare them with like 16 weeks in a row. And then we'll have a joint session with your girlfriend, fiance, or wife, just to walk through how's the changing impacting the relationship as a whole. Right. Not counsel him in front of her, but talk through this. How's the systemic changing and moving for a little check-in, mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. connection. Sometimes what he was perceiving 
and sharing with me is not accurate in her perception. Mm. And it's helpful to hear both so we can walk through that. Mm -hmm. Our satisfaction and joy in life is directly related to our satisfaction and joy in our relationships. Elliot and I are here to help. We'd love to design a workshop, seminar, or weekend retreat for your organization. We'll bring the psych research, of course, along with over 60 years of combined experience in psychotherapy. We'll share science-based therapeutic techniques within the context of a Christian worldview. We can level up in our relationships. Contact our producer, Tim May, at tim at loveandlifemedia.com to book us. All right, Elliot, let's pray for anyone who has been diagnosed with ADHD or has a kid who they're thinking that might be the case or is dating someone or married to or just pray for, I would just ask from my perspective, just pray for an openness to all the things you've shared and especially thinking about the fact that these labels are perhaps not the most loving way to to go through this. Absolutely. Uh, Lord, first of all, I thank you for perfectly and wonderfully making all of your children And in my own life, Lord, seeing the gift of my hyperactivity and even my attention issues that when I'm locked in, Lord, are profoundly strong. And at times when I'm struggling, Lord, there's reasons I'm struggling that are outside of simply this condition as part of my life. So I pray, Lord, for all listening, all those who are wrestling with uh, the introspection, interjection of what we're sharing, their own medication, and maybe considering, is this helping me? Is this benefiting me? Are the long-range effects not dangerous, not scary. And so we ask, Lord, that you would just bless and bring favor upon those listening, those who are feeling moved to share with a boyfriend, girlfriend, or they have it themselves and wondering what are next steps. Lord, help them to reframe it and see any of the conditions we wrestle with as gifts from you, even when there's suffering involved, even when there's challenge and risk and and pain and loss. And to be fully authentic people and to recognize trauma and abuses and neglect and all the things we go through and make sure that we're looking at those individually and grieving those because Repressed grieving, Lord, can often produce all kinds of disorders in our behavior and our thoughts. So pray, Lord, for the listeners. Pray for us and uh, this podcast. We continue to walk through issues like ADHD and how they impact our relationships. Uh, We pray this, Lord, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. As always, thank you so much for spending a portion of your day with us. It means so much to us. We do want to encourage you to share this episode. Sometimes these conversations aren't being had. Again, we've got pharmaceutical companies making a lot of money and these diagnoses worked in their favor. So this may be a little countercultural conversation here. And that's part of this holistic approach to love and life that Elliot and I want to share with you. So please do share this episode with someone who might need it. We really appreciate that. Also, listeners, if you have any more questions about pertinent topics or themes in your life that are challenging you holistically, please send them to Karen and I, and we will do our best to get to them as quickly as we can. Give us some freedom on our random expression of our lives and our movements, and we will do those as best we can. Thank you. And we're here to help us all align our mind, body, and spirit for empowered relationships. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abram. 